You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Muster Masterclass Part 8, to our live audience, to our online audience, and to our podcast listeners. Tonight's topic, I think, is one of the most important topics we will ever discuss in the Muster Masterclass. And that is because this is the one thing, the one topic that every single human being on planet Earth desires for. And that is happiness. Now, I just want to clarify at the beginning of class, we're going to use the word happiness, even though we really mean joy. What's the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness is a feeling based on circumstances. Joy is an attitude that defies circumstances. So, Joy is when it's deep, it's within, it's for, it's internal. Happiness, you go shopping and you're happy you got a deal on your shoes. Okay, that's happy, but that's not, that's not joy. That, but, but we're going to use the term happiness for joy. Right? Just so that we understand, we have clarity on what it is that we are referring to. So when we are talking about being a person who is happy, how do we attain happiness? Everybody on planet Earth is looking for happiness. Everyone's searching for happiness. Some people think it's going to come from a good meal. Some people think it'll come from a nice relationship. Some people think it'll come when I make all that money, when I sell my business. Everyone has a different idea of when that happiness is going to descend upon them. But as we will learn tonight, happiness isn't a destination. We don't arrive one day at a place called happiness. There's no uh, city or state that says you've arrived at happiness. Welcome. It doesn't happen. So how do we live a life of happiness? And the Torah is filled with happiness. And we're going to try to get what what we can out of that. But it's an amazing thing. If you look in our prayers... There isn't a single mention in our Amidah about happiness. We talk about many, many things, but not one is requesting happiness. In our Amidah, we ask for wisdom. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for many things. We don't ask for happiness because happiness cannot be attained from external. It's within. It's really connecting to who we are and our purpose and our essence that brings us to a point of happiness. That's what we're going to try to get to tonight. So let's begin. We say many times in the Torah, we say uh, different phrases regarding happiness. For example, you shall be happy on your festival, referring to the holiday of Sukkot. It's a time of happiness. It's very interesting. If you look at the holiday of Sukkot, we will say, and you shall be filled with joy. We say, God tells us in Deuteronomy, you'll be punished if because you haven't served me with joy and with a full gladdened heart. So we see this is this. You should be happy with all the good that you've been that you've been uh, uh, granted. The Talmud also says something very interesting. It says, The presence of God does not reside in a place of sadness. And not a place of laziness. And not a place of laughter and mockery. Vilomitoch kalusrosh, and not out of lightheadedness, which is like when people are just, you know, uh, frivolous. Vilomitoch sicha, not out of conversation. Vilomitoch dvarmatel, not out of nonsense. Ella, do you want to know where the presence of God is? Mitoch devar simcha shel mitzvah. Happiness and joy that results from a mitzvah. So if you think about it, you know, it's it's the craziest thing. All the holidays that we have, have a physical component. We have on Rosh Hashanah, we have the component of a a shofar. On Yom Kippur, we have the day that we fast, right? So we're 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 staying away from anything physical, uh, which is also, by the way, a day of great joy because it's a day of forgiveness and atonement. We're going to skip Sukkot for a second. We're going to go to Hanukkah. We have a menorah. 
On Purim, we have a Megillah, and we give out the gift baskets to our fellow uh, friends and neighbors. Pesach, we have Matzot. Sukkot is a very interesting holiday. Sukkot is the holiday that we're commanded to be happy, and that's the holiday that we leave our homes. Now where we buy new couches and new furniture and clean up our houses and have, you know, all of this inside. No, no, no. We leave our homes. We leave our homes. And that's the time that the Torah tells us, be happy. Why? Because too many times we get, we get in the habit of taking for granted the things, the gifts that we have. Do you know when you start appreciating things? When they're taken away from you. When they're taken away from you, that's when you start being happy, like, oh, I can't believe it, right? So specifically in the holiday, where we leave our homes, we're commanded to be happy. Why? It makes a lot of sense. Because we suddenly, suddenly realize how gifted we are in that home. In that home that we fetch about and we say, oh... I want to change the rugs out. I want to change the floors. And I wish I did this. And I wish I did that. And if I had that picture. And if I had that piece of art. And I did Then I'll be happy. No, 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 no. Get out of your house. Let's start over. Let's reboot. (laughs) Now we can realize how happy we are. And that is the holiday of happiness. It's called. That is the holiday of happiness. Because that's that's the time where we realize how good we really have it. When you take it away. So we don't want to get to a point where, God forbid, things are taken away from us to be happy. So how do we attain this happiness before things are taken away? I remember I mentioned this before when we talked about uh, appreciation, because appreciation is the key to attaining happiness. You can be appreciative and not be so happy, but you can't be happy without being appreciative. You cannot be happy without being appreciative. You must be thankful. And that's why in our prayer, we don't talk about happiness, but we do conclude with appreciation. And it's a lot of words of appreciation. Modim, We are thankful to you, Hashem, our God, for giving us our neshama, giving us our soul, and for giving us all of our, every, everything that we have. The more, and the more detail we go into the, into the prayer and thank, and we're thanking Hashem. I'll read it to you. We gratefully thank you, for it is you who are Hashem, our God, and the God of our forefathers for all eternity. Rock of our lives, shield our, shield of our salvation are you for generation, from generation to generation. We shall thank you and relate your praise for our lives, which are committed to your power, and for our souls that are entrusted to you, for your miracles that are with us every single day and for your wonders and favors in every season evening morning and afternoon the the beneficent one for your compassion for your compassions were never exhausted and the compassionate one for your kindness never ended we have always placed our hope in you and then we continue and for all these may your name Be blessed and exalted, our King, continually forever and ever. Everything alive will gratefully acknowledge you, Selah, forever, and praise you, your name, sincerely. O God of our salvation and help, Selah, blessed are you, Hashem, your your name is the Beneficent One, and to you it is fitting to give thanks. That's the second to last prayer that we have, the blessing that we have in the Amidah. Thanking and thanking and thanking and thanking. That for every day, for every moment, morning, afternoon, and evening, God is there for us, taking care of us. I think I mentioned this previously in one of the classes here. My rabbi, may he live and be well, from Jerusalem, he once told me, he says, if you want to get into the frame of mind of happiness, of how blessed we are, if you want to prepare yourself for the high holidays, time of seriousness where we're taking an accounting for our lives. He says, walk the hallways of the hospital. Walk the hallways of the hospital. You'll realize how grateful you need to be. You'll realize in a moment 
how gifted you are. Now, we don't have to look at other people's challenges to, to realize it. But sometimes it's a good wake-up call. Sometimes it's a good opportunity for us to get out of our, you know, apathy or our, you know, the, the way, you know, I, I meet with people regularly. And I, I had recently someone called me and said, I don't know why, but I'm just sad. I don't know why. I'm just sad. I have no reason to be sad. But I just am sad. Our sages talk about this. That's one of the tactics of the Yetzirah. One of the tactics when he, when the Yetzirah realizes that you're about to, to grow, you're about to take another step, he says, I think it's time to be a little sad. <laughs> right? And when, and when, and when we're infused with a little bit of sadness, right, then it's hard to, it's hard to be motivated and excited and elevated and uplifted. But that's what we need to, we need to realize that this is a, it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle to overcome that that thought and or temptation of just giving up. Okay, so happiness is a state of mind. Happiness is a means, not an ends. We don't end up one day being happy. Right now, every single one of you online right now, every single person in this room, every person listening to this podcast has the ability to be happy right now. At this moment, oh, Rabbi, if you understood the challenges, yeah, 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 I, okay, we can talk about that. We all have the ability right now to be completely immersed in happiness. It's not a destination. We have to remember that. If your goal for happiness is that one day when I own my cruise liner and when I have my private jet and when I jump out of a, a an airplane at 15,000 feet or whatever it is that, you know, that one thinks that at that point, then I'll be considered happy. Then I'll be happy. Or when I have more money than my neighbor, or I drive a nicer car, whatever it is, money, money and possessions cannot buy us happiness. I know that's a famous song. Okay. Don't get tempted. <laughs> um, happiness is internal. It's not external. It's a nice thing. When you can go to a store and buy the shoes that you like and you get them at a great deal, you're even happier. But that happiness, scientists will, t will tell us, that happiness lasts till about the dopamine, that excitement that you feel from that purchase lasts till you get to the car. And if it, it, it's a big problem because that's why we've become such a consumer generation where we just consume and consume and consume because we're trying to fill happiness with objects it doesn't fill because as soon as we're done and we had that good meal okay and now what are we doing and now what you know it's an it's an amazing thing my rabbi shared this with me uh it's about 30 years ago uh, a little bit less than 30 years ago i once came over to him and i told him that i was sad i was in yeshiva i was away from my parents i was in israel and, uh, you know, I thought it would be like, you know, that's what everyone goes through those times. We're like just not so happy, right? So I went to my rabbi. I told him, I, you know, I'm a little, uh, you know, I'm a little down. So he said to me a very interesting thing. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a, a, a parable. I think I may have shared this. I, if I did, please excuse me. If not, uh, I hope you, you enjoy this, uh, this metaphor. I'm, I'm sharing what he thought, what he said to me in a metaphor. You know, what does a vacuum cleaner do? The happiest moment for a vacuum cleaner is when you give it dirt, you give it some pretzels, right? And you hear that crackling of the pretzel inside the nozzle, right? You hear, and it's like, ooh, that's good, right? Then you find more pretzels. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Everyone's like, yeah, right? That's, that's the good part. You're just going on the carpet and nothing's there, right? That's not so exciting. But when it gets some good, good crumbs, that's what gets it excited. And if you take out the nozzle, and you put it down for a second, you organize something, and it grabs onto your pants or your skirt or onto a tablecloth, right? You know what I'm talking about? Why? Because what makes the vacuum cleaner happy? Doing its job. Doing its job. Give me some dirt. I'll be happy. The neshama, the soul, is the same thing as that vacuum cleaner. But it doesn't get fed by dirt. It only gets fed by holiness, by godliness, 
It wants to feel, give me something yummy. Give me something good. The soul, our neshama that we have within us is happy when we feed it spirituality. If we try to feed it clothes, it doesn't last. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't quench the thirst of the neshama. You try to give it other things, possessions, items. It doesn't fill it. There's only one thing that pleases the neshama. Ah, when you're able, able to help someone out. You see an elderly woman who's trying to carry her bags and you say, here, let me, let me give you a hand, right? Ah, oh, that feeling that you feel like, ah, I just made someone's day. I just helped someone out. You call, go visit a sick person and you see that they become overjoyed that you went and visited them. Ah, it's a good feeling. That's a spiritual experience. You fed your soul. Now imagine if we can fill our soul every day, all day with that feeling. What would we be? The happiest people on earth. But instead, if we try to take a different feed for that neshama, for that soul, and we try to feed it with objects, with Coca-Cola and another movie, and, you know, and it, it just doesn't do it. It doesn't translate to what the neshama needs. And we're in, living in a, in a generation where we have, you know, devices like this, which connect us to the world by our fingertips. You know, I yesterday, this is a, a replacement phone that I just got. So it's like everything is resetting it up. So I'm setting up things that I never knew existed. So I start, I put it, put it on yesterday, a time limit. I didn't know I had that, but a time limit on apps just to, to keep myself, to monitor myself. And I realized, I never realized how much time. And I, and I use this as, it's a tool. It's a very powerful tool. I do a lot of work through this. People send me, you know, different messages. They need a certain document. They see, I need a certain note. They need, I need a recording. I need a this, I need that. Whatever it is, it's all for my phone. It's a lot of work I, I do through this, but there's also a lot of nonsense and waste of time. I didn't realize how much time, because I put on a random limit of time, and suddenly it gives me a notification. Five minutes left, or we're turning off the app. Now, of course, I can adjust it, but I just wanted it to be cognizant of how much time is being absorbed of my day with this device. And this is a big problem because that's what, you know, when people, you can post something on, on Facebook and you want to see how many people like it. So people get, it's an external infusion of happiness. Again, one of those things that's a temporary thing. And sadly, that's the world we're living in today is like, you know, you have the TikTok world, you have the influencers, the influencers. And all of this is creating a certain culture of this is what you need to be happy. You don't need anything external to be happy. You don't need anything external to be happy. So... (laughs) There are a couple of things. So we said before, one of the things we mentioned was that what brings a person to happiness? What, what, sorry, the presence of God resides mitoch simcha shel mitzvah. The joy that comes from the observance of a mitzvah. What is a mitzvah? And what is a sin? A mitzvah is something that brings us closer to God. A sin is something that distances us from God. When a person does a mitzvah, what are they doing? A mitzvah means a commandment. But what does it mean, a commandment? God's not just giving us, here, do this, do this, do this, do this, because I said so. Do this because this is a tool to connect to me. To connect our soul to our purpose. When we connect with our purpose, we're happy. We're plugged in. We're getting charged. We're connected to our purpose. When we distance ourselves from our purpose we could feel that void. And every human being wants to feel connected to their purpose. Every human being. That's why God, His presence resides the joy that comes with a mitzvah. If a person, this is an amazing thing, the the Torah tells us this, a person who observes the Torah and doesn't have joy from it, God wants nothing to do with it. Why? Because how can you be involved with godliness and not be happy? 
How can you be involved? You have the privilege of, of doing a mitzvah and you're not happy. You, you really don't understand what you're doing. And this becomes increasingly difficult when someone grew up in a religious lifestyle. Because when someone grows up with the observance of Torah and mitzvahs their entire life, it's become a habit that they've done. I've said this before, but my son will be bar mitzvah in two years, God willing, in good health. He will have said the Shema probably 10,000 times. How in the world is he supposed to know? When he has enough sense to understand what he's really saying, how in the world is he supposed to feel a connection to the words he said 10,000 times? It's like imagine a couple gets married. The first time you say, before they get married, hopefully, they get to a point. I, mean, I think it takes many years for a couple to really love each other. But they say, oh, I love you. How long, right? How exciting is that first time you say, I love you? It's like, like, is this the time? Am I ready to say it, right? It's like, it's like, okay, now fast forward 10 years forward and you say, I love you. you, you it's like, you don't even know who you said it to, right? It's like, was I just on the phone with AT&T and I just said, I love you when I hung up? It's like, right? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, but is the feeling after 10 years the same way as it was? It's more so. At, well, it should be so. It should be so. But many times it becomes, like you said, a habit. It becomes a habit. It becomes rote. And it, we, we lack the, the, the excitement and the energy that should be there. But if someone comes, if someone comes to the saying Shema, at an age of, let's say, 20 years old, and they suddenly start exploring their Judaism and they connect with the Shema, they're like, wow, this is brilliant. This is amazing. And every time they say it, they say it with a fervor, with an excitement. It's, it's, it's easier. It's much easier. It's difficult because you're, you're coming uh, to contact it with it at a later age, but the excitement is far greater. So it's a work for everyone. Nobody should think that, oh, if I would have grown up like that, it would have been much easier. No, <laughs> trust me. Everyone is exactly in the place that God put them for a reason. There's something beautiful that only you can bring to this world. There's something unique that is only you. You're the only Bruce that will ever be on planet Earth. There will be other people who will borrow your name perhaps, but you're the only Bruce that will ever be on planet Earth. And it's the same with each and every one of us. We are unique, and you have to realize that you are one of a kind. That from creation, the beginning of the creation of this world, from Adam and Eve, till the end of this world, there will never, ever, ever be another human being like you. You know, on some of the phones, they have these fingerprint things that you can, you can, a biometric. Do you realize that your fingerprint is the only fingerprint ever to have that combination? ever on planet Earth because you are one of a kind. Being one of a kind, that means you have something special to bring to this world that no one else can do. It's your job. What a delight. What a joy when we realize that I'm one of a kind. It's not just words. It's not hyperbole. This is real. You are one of a kind. There's something, a contribution that you can bring to this world. You know, they say that God put you in this world because he thought the world could not exist without you. You're needed here. You're wanted here. Now, it, it is sad when there are people who don't feel like they're wanted or needed. They haven't gotten the, the adequate love from their parents, perhaps, or from their teachers or from their friends or from their social circles. It's not a very pleasant feeling. Notwithstanding that, you can be a happy person. You can be a happy person if you build yourself from within. Building an internal world. And you don't have to be an introvert for that. Every person can build an internal world. Get to know ourselves. To investigate in ourselves. Who am I? Why do I, why do I like certain things? Why do I dislike certain things? And to connect. My grandfather would always ask us. He says, have you ever gone for a walk with yourself? 
and thought about yourself, just your own characteristics, your own character traits. Think of think of kindness. Anybody here like to do kindness? Yeah? You ever wonder why you like to do kindness? And investigate. Go for a five-minute walk or sit on your, on your deck uh, in the back of your house, on the front, wherever you're not being interrupted. And just think about why you like to do kindness. What intrigues you about kindness? What motivates you to do kindness? It's it's an, a, an extraordinary experiment. We are a very rich human being, each and every one of us. And there's so much to explore. And the more we find in ourselves, hopefully the happier we'll be because we'll see how gifted we are. We'll see how talented we are. We'll see how blessed we are that we are the only Shauna that will ever be on planet Earth. It's like, wow. I got something unique here. I've got something that nobody else has. I'm a combination of all these different talents and all of these wonders and all of these interesting things that I contribute to the world. It's an ama- another amazing thing is that we all have perspective. Every one of us has an interesting perspective on life. And even if we vote for the... You see, it's one of the challenges with politics is that we, we're bunched up into two different categories. You're either to the right or you're to the left or, you know, maybe there are a few odd people in the middle of the road. They're like libertarians or the Green Party or whatever. But generally speaking, we're putting people into two buckets. I don't think that the 350 million people who are in the United States fall into any two buckets. I think we fall into 350 million different buckets. We're all unique. And as much as we try to... to, to uh, to um, in this, in, it's it's an amazing thing. All oh, the whole idea of voting is like we're a number. You see in this week's Torah portion how the Jewish people were counted. We don't count Jews. We count the coins. We count the coins because Jews are not. You don't you don't count Jews. They're not a number. So everyone donated a coin, and then they counted the coin, and they knew how many Jews that 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 corresponded to. But we don't count people because every person is unique. Every person is special. They're not just a number. They're not just a number. Okay, so where does happiness comes from? The first thing we mentioned this previously when we spoke about appreciation is appreciating the bounty that you do have over the deficiencies you are lacking. It's very easy to look at your friend or your neighbor and uh, your relatives or whoever it is and look at their watch, look at their clothes, look at their car, look at their vacations, look at their family. All I want is that picture-perfect family. I want that. Don't look at what other people have. Look at what you do have. Okay? So it's looking at what you do have, not looking at what others have, and there's another part of controlling your desires. It's a very important piece. Controlling our urges and desires of constantly wanting something we don't have. We're going to get to it when we talk about jealousy. We're going to get to it in many of the other traits. We're going to talk about recognizing that Hashem, God, creator of heaven and earth, gives us exactly what we need. Not a drop more, not a drop less. If God thought you needed that dress, you would have had it. Being jealous of what someone else has, you're basically saying, God doesn't know what I need. I know what I need. Okay, we'll get to that when we get to that. Our bodies are temporary. Our souls are eternal. Right? And why, it's it's just a, a, a question as to why the world invests so much in our body and so little in our soul. Right? Our bodies are here to service. You know, it's a very interesting thing. Uh, at a funeral, uh, the mourners tear their clothes. Why do we tear our clothes? We tear our clothes to remind us that clothes are external to the body, so to speak. They cover the body. But the body is the clothes to the soul. So what we do is we tear our clothes to say the external is gone. But the internal, the soul, is forever. 
we feel sad when someone passes away, but the truth is they're going to a much better place. Right? So we should, I mean, we should be happy. No, but we're, we're, we're human beings. So we feel connected and we feel a loss. But essentially, right? They're in a much better place. They're, they're in a world of truth. They're in a world of clarity, a world with less confusion. And yet we're terrified. And the reason we're terrified, the reason that nobody is excited to die is because we're always afraid, perhaps I didn't fulfill my mission. Perhaps I have more I needed to do. You know, nobody says on their deathbed, I wish I worked a little bit more. What they do say is, I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I focused on what was really important. Those are the things people say. They don't say, why didn't I go shopping more? Because we suddenly realize that there is a whole different element, a whole different aspect to our lives, which is not the external and the physical. And if you, if you go online, you go, you watch a, a, a commercials, they'll all convince you that everything is about the here and now. Right? What is it? Uh, um, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you'll die. Right? So just like get it all in now. Get it all, all the drinks, all the food, all the, all the parties, get it in now because, right? But we don't, in Judaism, we don't look at the world like that. We look at this world as a, as a, uh, as, as a tool to build up a, uh, nest egg for our eternity. Every mitzvah that we do, I've said this, uh, multiple times. I know it sounds a little odd, but I'm a hoarder. I'm a hoarder of mitzvahs. I try to do every mitzvah that comes my way. I try. I'm not always successful. I try to. I want to. I want to invest in the world to come and have like like bazillions of dollars in mitzvahs there. Right? And nonstop try to do everything I can to... And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great way to be a hoarder, I think. My personal perspective. Um, you're all welcome to join me. It's like a whole club we have. No, <laughs> we can make one though. Um, so it's very important though that when we talk about happiness, that we not confuse happiness with laughter and or comedy. That's entertainment. You're not happy by watching the late night show. You don't become happy from that, right? If you had a rough day, Maybe that'll help you get over that rough day. Maybe. Not likely. But people think that, well, I'm, I'm a happy person. Look at me. I'm always laughing. I'm always that. That could be a cover to a lot of sadness, to a lot of uh, emptiness. And usually if you think about it, if you think about, you know, I, I really don't, I really despise all of those, those comedy shows. Not that they're not funny. Some of them are really funny. But most of them are at the expense of someone else. If my happiness is only based on laughing at someone else, that's really sad. I can laugh on someone else's account, make fun of this person, make fun of that person, this senator, and this congressman. Can you believe what they said? And they play the clip and everyone laughs and like, ha ha ha, craziest thing in the world. Right? That, that is an external laughter. That's not internal joy and happiness. Right? You have to be careful not to confuse that. So it's very interesting that there's a flawed concept in the United States uh, Declaration of Independence, right? We talk about right the the uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness, meaning, at least that's what it sounds like to me, you can go and pursue it. One day you'll arrive at it. No, happiness is a frame of mind. You can be happy. Every single day of your life. Just, we just have to be zoned in, in the right, with the right focus on what purpose, you know, drinking, substance, or substance abuse, any type of today, you know, it's CBD and all of these different types of stuff. And marijuana is legal in many states. In many of the states that many of you are on, online over there, uh, it may be legal and people could be not committing a crime, smoking up and doing whatever it is that they're doing. You know what the, the, the Torah problem about that with that is? 
Torah problem is that it makes you numb to your very existence. Alcohol does the same. Drugs, all of these things, right? It makes you numb and you're running away from your existence. Happiness is just the opposite. It's just the opposite. Happiness is about being in my existence and I don't want to run away from it. I love my existence. I don't need to be an alternative person in order to be in a state of happiness. Um, yeah, so it's important also to remember that someone else's knocking somebody else will never make you happy. Someone else's failure. Someone else's you know, there's an, an amazing thing that uh, there was a, 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 an interaction that was happening between Mordechai and Haman. Right when Haman was trying to get Mordechai killed, we're going to read this. Right by the way, this is the this is the month, the months, the two months of Adar is the months of happiness, of being overjoyed. Again, and many people think it's like, oh, I get overjoyed. I'll drink more wine or more scotch, and I'll be happier. No, that's not not external happiness. Internal happiness. Realize the gift that we got, the gift of life. We're God. Excuse me. Where God saved us. You see the, 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 the exchange between Mordechai and Haman. So Mordechai is studying in the study hall and Haman comes to dress him in the king's garments and put him on the king's horse and put the king's crown on him and he has to pronounce in front of Mordechai's horse, Haman does, such shall be done to the man who the king wishes to honor. And he's going to walk around town. Mordechai says, you know, uh, Haman, <laughs> it's not respectful for me to be dressed in the garments of the king and not be showered and not be bathed and not have a haircut. That would be disrespectful to the king. He says, what do you think? I'm, what? He says, yeah, the, all the bathhouses are closed today, right? In honor of your parade. It's a, it's a, it's a legal holiday. He says, well, you're going to have to open one up. So he goes and here Haman is the second in command in the government. He has to go and open up the doors to the bathhouse so that Mordechai can go. And he has to be the one to give him a haircut. And Mordechai says to him, what are you quetching about? Weren't you the barber in you know, the previous kingdom? You were the barber, right? And what are you quetching? Like, okay, so then it comes time after he's bathed and he's, haircut, he's got his haircut. He's all groomed. Now Mordechai looks represent, presentable, right? And he can get on the horse. He says, but Haman, I'm, I'm too weak to get up on the mm. horse. He says, what do you want me to do? He says, get down and I'll step on your back and I'll get on the horse. Mm. So the Midrash tells us in a fascinating incident that happened here where Mordechai stood on, on, on Haman. He gave him a kick. He gave him a kick. So he says, doesn't it say in your Torah, when your enemy falls, don't be happy. He says, that's true regarding a Jew. But regarding you, it says a different verse. He's such a wicked person. Someone does such terrible things to the Jewish people. It says, you, on his high places, you should stand, you should trample. And therefore, he did that. But think of this for a second. The verse that he says that Haman brings to Mordechai is, When your enemy falls, don't laugh. Don't be happy. So I'll tell you what the secret is. It's not that don't be happy at your enemy's fall. It's that you won't be happy from it. You won't be happy because someone else fell. In general, in our lives, we have to realize if your competitor fails, you're like, ah, yeah, you see, don't mess with me, right? You tried to compete with me and you got taken out. You're not going to be, it's not going to buy you happiness. The contrary is an amazing story. There was a, a book publisher in, in Israel and a guy worked for him opened up a competing, left left his, 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 his bookshop, book, his book press, and opened up a competing book press down the road. 
family was very upset, but the owner was very happy. He said, let me teach you the tricks. And he called him into his, into his class. He says, some, some of the things you may not have known. You may not have known about, you know, my business. You know, you worked here, but you may not have known. And he tells him the secret. And the family's like, why are you helping him out? He's your competitor. He says, you guys are thinking that he's taking away my business. He says, every Rosh Hashanah Hashem declares how much money I'm going to make. Right? My livelihood doesn't come from him being my competitor or not being my competitor. My livelihood comes from Hashem declaring that this is what I'm going to make. So I have the opportunity to help someone else out. What a delight. What a delight. Imagine if the world lived like that. You're never going to attain happiness because of someone else's fault. Such an important uh, uh, way to focus a focus on 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 our on our happiness. So, do you know that um, it says that about someone who's sad, someone who's not in a state of happiness, they're forbidden from serving on the Jewish court panel. Imagine one of the one of the rabbis presiding. He wasn't a happy person. If he was a sad person, he can't he can't preside in a Jewish court. You have that tinge of sadness. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't give you clarity. You also can't. It's very difficult to concentrate in prayer when you're sad. And by, by the way, there, there is there's something that needs to be said about tears of joy. Tears of joy is not sadness. So you're happy. You're over. One of my favorite stories. One of my favorite stories was there were two individuals who were walking to the Western Wall late, late at night. And as they're walking to the wall, now one of them did medical referrals. He did medical assistance, and the other one um, was a very was a very uh, big philanthropist. And they see this man crying his heart out, like two, three o'clock in the morning. So they decided between themselves, let's approach him. If he needs something having to do with medical assistance, I'll help him. And if he needs something with financial assistance, I'll help him. Right? That's what they, they agreed. They walk over to him and they say, look, we've been standing here. We see you crying and crying and crying. What is it that you need? Is it something medical? Is it some, something financial? What is it that you need? He says, no. He says, I just married off my 15th child, my youngest child, tonight. I just came to say thank you. Unbelievable. Right? Sometimes we think that someone is crying. He must be sad. He must be in a trouble. He must be in a challenge. He was just saying thank you. I can guarantee you that those are the tears of joy, the greatest joy possible. <coughs> and it's such an important lesson of the appreciation we need to have for every single gift we have. You wake up in the morning, you should be dancing on the roof. Ah, I'm on this side of the grass today. Thank you, Hashem. The joy we should have from every single accomplishment, everything we're able to do. You know, I was, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I wasn't feeling well. I was under the weather. My brother took over. So, you know, it's like they, they say, it's a, a, an important saying to know. It's like only a woman who gave birth without an epidural can understand a man with a cold. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so it's like we we all fall apart when we have a little cold, but uh, yeah, so everything's perspective. So okay, so this is a very fundamental idea uh, when it comes to the understanding happiness is that whenever opposites connect, you have happiness. When you have opposites connect, a few of the examples is heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are opposites. When they connect, when it rains, it's a time of joy. It's a time of unbelievable joy. 
when a man and a woman who are opposites connect, they get married, it's a time of unbelievable joy. When the body and soul connect, two opposites, a baby is born, it's a time of great joy. We have to understand that it's, a, it's, a, it's also an important thing that many times I've spoken to young guys dating, getting in, in, in the, you know, and they're like, I, I can't marry her. She's great. I like her. But we're just total opposites. Right? I want something more in common. Now, it's true. You have to have common goals. You have to have, you know, common values. But you don't have to be the same. In fact, no husband and wife I've ever met are the same or even remotely the same. That is the beauty of a relationship of husband and wife. It's when you have those opposite. I, I, always, I always give this example. If this is the husband and this is the wife, if they're the same, this is what you have. But when you're different, this is what you have. You're able to get closer together. You're able to learn new things. You're able to appreciate differences. We sometimes like to find happiness only with the people who think like me and act like me. You can have tremendous happiness when you find differences between you and others. When you're not thinking alike. When you're able to get along notwithstanding the differences. So, we mentioned we're all unique. We're all unique and we need to be happy with whatever we have whether it be physical, spiritual, we have to be happy with what we have, what I have, because you are the only you ever. And in our prayers in the morning, in the morning prayers, we have a beautiful blessing, which is a very important blessing to remind us about happiness every single, every single day. Right? We shall find peace and harmony within ourselves Every single day, when we say this blessing, we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, our God, King of the Universe, Sha'asa Li Kol Tzorki, who provides for me my every need. My every need. God provides for me my every need. Not my neighbor's every need. Not my friend's every need, my every need. Yeah, but I wish I had what my friend had. I wish I had. And it's, it's, it's really a challenge. It really is a challenge when we're in a, in a society where everyone is sharing. I remember, this is probably 20 years ago, I was listening to a lecture about happiness. Probably 20 years ago, maybe more. And the rabbi said, and this is back way before Facebook. He said, if you're so fortunate and you can take your family to Disneyland, the rabbi said, nobody needs to know about it. You don't need to advertise it every place. Because you may have a neighbor or a friend or a relative who can't afford that, who cannot afford to go on that trip to Disneyland. And what are you doing? You're poking out their eyes. Oh, my family's trip to Disneyland. Come take a look and we will share with you everything, right? It's like, and, and that could, we have to be responsible for that. We have to think about that. I'll just tell you, my father's a very special person. I love my father tremendously. And he's taught me a great deal about life. And one of the things that my father was always very, very, very cautious about. See, uh, my father, like most people, uh, that we, we all know have ups and downs in their livelihood, in their, in their business. So it was a time where my father was doing much better than normal. And it was right before my eldest brother's bar mitzvah. It was about a few months before. And they went to, they went together. My father and my brother uh, went to one of our relatives' bar mitzvah. And it was a very, very simple bar mitzvah, extremely simple. I mean, it was very simple. So my brother, walking out of the bar mitzvah, when they were done at the end, he says to my father, he says, I'm going to have a nicer bar mitzvah than that, right? So my father says, no, you'll have exactly the same. My brother's like, but you can afford a nicer bar mitzvah. He says, I may be able to afford a nicer bar mitzvah, 
but can all of your classmates' parents afford that? He said, your classmates are going to come to your bar mitzvah and they're going to see, ah, look at Walby's bar mitzvah. They're going to go home and they're going to say, hey, daddy, I need to have a bar mitzvah like Walby had. And the father's going to be like, what am I going to do? My son is only going to be bar mitzvah once in his life. I have to give him his dream. I have to give him his dream bar mitzvah. I'm going to have to make it special like like the Joneses or like the Walbys or whoever it is. My father turned to my brother. He says, I don't want the responsibility of other people doing things because they saw us doing it. And therefore, I'm going to make sure that your bar mitzvah will be not underwhelming, but something which nobody will go home and say, wow, that was the greatest bar mitzvah ever. It was nice, nice, simple. He felt that as his responsibility. And he felt it even more so as his responsibility to teach that to all of us. So when we grew up, I remember one time my neighbor walked over to our house and they said, you know, uh, Mr. Walby, it might be time to give a coat of paint on the outside of the house. And they're like telling it. And my father said, well, I'll be honest with you. We don't look on the outside of our house. We only look at what's inside the house. She said, my father said, if we look outside, we see your beautiful house. Right? If our outside of our house bothers you, you're welcome to paint it yourself, right? <laughs> but now, obviously, you live in a neighborhood. You have to make sure that 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 you're that you're you know not an eyesore to the community for sure, not right? That you have yeah. But but again, it was never a focus in our house to look out into other to other people. I'll just share with you one more story. Is that my father? His dream car. If you remember back in the eighties, you remember that car. That car was the Lincoln Town car. Remember that Lincoln Town car? My father always dreamt of that Lincoln Town car. He always wanted that car, but he never owned one. And again, it's not because he couldn't afford it. And I said, why don't you just get it? I was like, I wanted my father to have one, right? It was like, that was the, he said, can my neighbor afford it? I'm going to pull up in the driveway and have my Lincoln Town car in the driveway. And what's my neighbor going to say? I need one. And he'll have to borrow money or steal money, God forbid, or spend money he doesn't have because he wants to be like me. Never owned one. And that's a responsibility that each and us, each and every one of us has to our, our environment to realize that that's a part of our responsibility. I know this is not so much on our topic, but it's, it is on our topic a little bit to ensure that we take note of the things that, that we're putting out there. Nobody needs to know about the steak dinner you had yesterday at the fancy schmancy kosher restaurant in, in Manhattan with your post on Facebook. And people are posting all of their, right? If it's to your s- small group of friends that you know are not going to be, even then you have to be careful. What do you share? What do you not share? I'm going on another vacation. I'm going on another cruise. I'm going on another, right? Now, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge and it's a challenge more than you can imagine because there's that social pressure. What are you doing with your kids this summer? What vacations are you going on? And it becomes, especially when you have a tight knit community, it becomes there, there, there's a, a pressure that people feel not intentionally, but it happens. And it's something that we need to be responsible, be careful of, because we would never want to be the person who's held accountable for someone else doing something because they needed to live up to our standards because we were poking out their eyes. The next blessing that we say every morning is to remind us, and we say the following, Blessed are you, Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Hashem, Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe who firms man's footsteps. God prepares our way for us. You're unique. God prepares your personal path. And your path is not like anyone else's. God takes care of you and gives you everything you need. He's custom tailing. He's like, imagine you have your your concierge, right, who's taking care of your uh, travel plans and everything's perfect for you. Because the things that you like to do, nobody else likes to do. That's what Hashem is for us. 
Hashem is our concierge, so to speak, who takes and carves out our world and our life with the challenges that only we can handle, God puts in front of us. And he prepares every step for us. Here you go. You ready for your next step, Bobby? Here you go. Here's your next challenge. And here's your next challenge. And God prepares the way for us. So happiness requires thought and focus, right? We have to appreciate what we're gifted with. We have to know. We're in the process of going through, this is the eighth of ten classes in this Muster Masterclass, and soon I'll be sending out an email for everyone's response. If you want to continue, I'll happily continue the series. We can go on to a hundred, Masterclass 100. Uh, that's, that's great. But part of the process is to really evaluate where we are with each trait. Recognize that each trait that you are above zero in your virtues is a gift from the Almighty. God gave you free, good traits, good characteristics for us to use and to maximize. So we have to appreciate what we're gifted or, or gifted with. We have to be happy with our sheer. This is what God gave me. And even though someone else might have more, it's fine. This is mine. And then sadness comes from the... Most of the time, sadness comes from desiring what you have not. And if you think about all the times you may have been sad, it's because you're looking at, oh, look at that, and look at them, and look at them, right? It's it's something that we need to be very, very careful about. I mentioned this in the, I think it was the third class when we spoke about appreciation. I mentioned we did it, I did a bonus uh, episode on the podcast, and it's something that I, I failed to mention in the class. I want to repeat it again over here. And that is we see this virtue by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where they said all three of them used the same terminology to express what it was that they had. What had God given them? You know what it was? Coal. Everything. I have it all. Abraham said, Vashem bakol. And by Yitzchak it says, Vochel Mikol, and I was given to eat from everything, meaning God gave me everything, and I experienced everything from this world. And by by Esav, by Esav, when Esav met with his brother Yaakov, Esav said, Rav, I have a lot. But what did Jacob say? Jacob said, I've got it all. And in our expression in our thanks, in our grace after meals, in our benching, we say these three words, bakol, mikol, kol. You gave us everything, just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, our, our patriarchs, had it all. God, we know you gave us all. Because if there was something that we were supposed to have, we would have had it. And if God didn't give it to us, we weren't meant to have it. Let that sink in. Let that sink in that this is our our perspective we need to have on life, is that every single thing that God said, this is what you need, you have. Esav, on the other hand, he said, I have a lot, but I don't have everything I need. I still want more. I still want more. I still want more. I still want more. Now, the only time we're supposed to learn from that is in spiritual pursuits. Is where we say, I want more. I want to learn more. I want to grow more. I want it. That's a time where we can say, I don't have it all. But when it comes to physical possessions, that should be our perspective on life. I have it all. If God bestows more upon me, great. But I have it all. The moment we conclude that we have it all, we begin to enjoy what we have much more. We are happy and feel no need for more. We gain a much deeper pleasure in what we have in life. I've given examples about this. Uh, you go into your car and you start your car and it goes, it's it, your battery's dead, right? That, that feeling of like, oh, oh how am I going to get to work today? 
what am I going to do? You call AAA and it's going to take you three hours till they fix it and they, they get you boosted or you call a neighbor. Right? And you have, but finally, when they get it fixed, they change your battery or they change the start or whatever it is that was going, going on with the car. And you turn it on for that first time again. It's like, ah, the sound of music. It's so delicious. It's so great. And that it works. We should feel that every day. We should stop every day and say, thank you, Hashem. Let my car start it. Thank you, Hashem. Today it's 83 degrees today in Houston. Everyone needs the air conditioner. Did anybody come here with a horse and buggy and it hot and muggy? No, everyone has a car and everyone has, we're living in, a, in the most luxurious lives. And yet we're in a generation that is dealing with more uh, depression and more sadness. And it's because we have this overabundance of materialism that goes unappreciated that we're less happy. So there was a man standing on the 70th floor of the Empire State Building and he's gazing at the cityscape. Suddenly, a large man pushes past him, climbs up on the ledge and he's about to jump off. So he says, stop, stop, stop. Don't, don't, don't jump. Don't do it. Don't do it. He says, don't even try to stop me. You try to stop me, I'll take you with me. So what is he going to say? No problem. Have a safe trip. <laughs> Enjoy. Send regards, right? Any last words? But suddenly, the guy says, my wife left me. My kids don't talk to me. I lost my job and my pet turtle died. I have nothing to live for. So suddenly he has, you have this, uh, you have this flash of inspiration. And you say to him, close your eyes for a minute and imagine that you're blind. And you can see no more colors, no more sights of children playing on the playground, no more fields of flowers, no more sunset. Now imagine that you suddenly have a miracle. And you open your eyes and your vision is restored. Are you still going to jump? Or are you going to take a week to appreciate your eyesight? He gets off the ledge and says, I'll take a week first. Let me enjoy my eyesight. Let me enjoy my eyesight. And then, then I'll jump. Right? The idea here is that we all have so many amazing gifts that are embedded within us. And if we just took the time to appreciate and enjoy them, Anybody here do exercise? Anybody do exercise here and not have pain in their right ankle? Right? Yes. You imagine if you took a week doing that workout every single and appreciating and feeling overjoyed that you don't have pain in your right ankle or in your left knee or in your hip and you don't have any dislocated shoulder. And but to take that and, and appreciate it, and you can listen to music while you and you can hear things. It's an, un, an unbelievable gift. If we just stopped and realized how much gifts we are granted with every single day, it gives us an, an ability to connect on a whole new level with the Almighty. A whole new level of appreciation for our lives. You know, uh, the Wall Street Journal did a whole study on is happiness overrated? You can search it on... on uh, on the Wall Street Journal, it's uh, by Shirley Wang. It's an interesting article, but they had a very interesting study. And they came up that with 27% of people 65 and up say that they are very happy. 27%. 27%, that's it. But you know what's even more fascinating? 27% of 30 to 45-year-olds say they're very happy. It means nothing changed. It's the same 27%. I think it's a high number. But the same 27% who are happy when they're 30 to 45 are the same 27% when they're 65. It really is a, an unbelievable thing. Uh, they also did... This is a, a Wall Street, uh, a New York Times, sorry, a New York Times article. They, uh, they called up, is a, they did a whole study of, of, uh, a thousand randomly selected Americans. They called for three years. 
They called up a thousand randomly selected American adults every day, each day, random, and asked them about their emotional status, work satisfaction, eating habits, illnesses, stress levels, and other indicators of their quality of life. And they wanted to find out who was the happiest person in the country. You know what they came up with? So they, they put together, they suddenly they, they got, right, what, what the height of that individual would be, what his uh, uh, nationality would be, what, you know, all of the details. You know, what they, this is what they came up with. The happiest person in America was a man named Alvin Wong. Listen to this. He was five foot eight, 69 year old Chinese American kosher observing Jew who's married with children and lives in Honolulu. He runs his own healthcare management business and earns more than $120,000 a year. That's what they came up with. The exact, they found that guy. But the truth is, it's not, that's not the, the, the true happiest person. The happiest person is you. The happiest person is you. Because you can make your life, each and every one of us can make our lives paradise. Today, tonight. We can get off this, this call, this, uh, class tonight, sit down and realize all of the gifts that we've been given. And we can stop worrying about what we don't have. And we can stop worrying about what our competitor has. And we can stop looking at what our neighbor has. And just realize the gifts that I have been given to me, that I've been given. And this is a, 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 if the more we do this and we, we close out the world for a few minutes and just take it all in. It, 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 this is an, an unbelievable gift that each and every one of us need to utilize every single day to live the happiest life ever. Happiness is not external. It's internal. It's not a destination. It's not, we don't arrive at happiness. We all have it within. Let's invest in it. We have to invest in our own happiness. We have to spend time in our happiness. It doesn't just... Drop like mana from from heaven. We have to work on it. And it's something that the more we work on it, the happier we'll be. And that's, again, what the whole world is looking for. You won't find it on a, a message board on Facebook. You'll find it inside your own heart, inside your own soul. So my dear friends, have a fantastic week ahead. Go get him. Be happy. All right, it's all within our ability to attain that happiness. Let's get it. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcast.com.